With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I welcome you to this exciting installment of the Opera Diva series. If you've been following this series, you know that we have been following some of the greatest singers of our time, including Carmen Balthrop, Angela M. Brown, Nicole Cabell, and Christine Brewer. Today is no exception. Today we are joined by the American soprano Sarah Coburn, who is no stranger to Washington, D.C. audiences. She has performed several times at the Kennedy Center in recital with Washington National Opera as well as Washington Concert Opera. Today she comes to us to speak to us about her upcoming performances with Washington National Opera in Lucia de Lamamor by Donizetti. Please welcome soprano Sarah Coburn. Good afternoon, Sarah. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. I'm delighted. This is a long time coming, so thank you so much for joining us today on this special series. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Now, I just mentioned to the listeners that you're going to be starring in Lucia de Lamamor by Donizetti, and I wanted to know, that's such a, one of, well, I would say it's one of the demanding operatic roles for soprano. What personal experiences uh, do you bring to the role of Lucia that help you to convey this character to the audience? Well, luckily, fortunately, my life has had uh, little of the drama of the, the real Lucy Ashton. <laughs> so happily, I don't have much personal experience to base um, such a sad character on. I think that really honest storytelling is um, what I can do to serve the role in the best way. I've read the novel, the Sir Walter Scott, several times and um, tried to embrace that fragility while at the same time singing really demanding uh, Italianate music. So that's something I find a, a little bit of a tricky balance in uh, portraying a, a fragile, mentally unstable character that has such strong, uh, uh, such strength in her music. But I think it's really if I just tell the story honestly and, and um, feel what a character in those situations is feeling and, and such oppression from all of the men in her life, then I think that I can convey what I need to. Um, in terms of madness, mad scene, I don't know, in, in order to inform a mad scene, I think being a mother helps, having sleep deprivation and um, going crazy, having to watch Barney DVDs over and over again. So that can really help to <laughs> bring some madness to the stage. Oh, my goodness. That that sounds like it really could. Now, <laughs> now when did you feel you were first? I've seen that you've, sing, you've sung this role um, several times. When did you first feel that you were you were ready to accomplish or to to sing this particular operatic role? You know, I, that's a good question. I I could say maybe right now I'm ready to sing it. I I probably uh, attempted it. I, I was offered the role, and of course, when a young soprano is offered the role, you do it. And I did it at 28, I believe, for the first time. And um, you know, 
your voice grows with age and your, with motherhood and maturity and experience. And I think right now I would say I'm I'm finally at the place where the entire role feels comfortable. Um, when I've had sections of it in the past that feel absolutely easy, the mad scene being one of those one of those things you could just sing roll out of bed and sing, which surprises a lot of people, but it is the easiest part of the night. I do think, um, you know, this is my fifth Lucia, so I think it's really the the first one that I feel completely comfortable with, the entirety of the role. The duets are really deceptively difficult, and um, I think they give a lot of sopranos trouble. You also don't focus on them as much because the arias are so much more um, important in your mind when you're studying a role, but it's a really long evening of being on stage and singing, and we've done this one pretty much uncut, this this production and so it's um a long night for this poor girl. <laughs> mm. So how do you maintain your energy and, and keep your fresh voice through all those different performances? Um, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, it's tiring. We've had a really long week of um kind of a marathon week of rehearsals, uh, with several orchestra tech rehearsals in a row. So really just, you know, making sure you stay well hydrated and you eat something backstage, that's really all I can do, get enough rest, but Mm. it's tricky. Oh, my goodness. It it sounds (laughs) like it's a a strenuous schedule. Now, how does this production perhaps differ or or maybe it's similar to some of the other productions that you've had of this opera? Let's see. This one is very... um, it's very different than anything I've ever seen, any of Lucia I've ever seen. It's it's very dark, and um, the elements of uh, oppression are even more severe. I think if you, uh, when you see it, you'll see that uh, the relationships are m- more outlined in a uh, dis- the dysfunction in the family, and the Ashton family is <laughs> slightly more progressed. Um, the relationship between Lucia and her brother Enrico is very twisted and really, really hard to watch. So I think that'll be something kind of interesting for people to see. Uh, the The set itself is dark and it's um, with really uh, minimal lighting. So it, it, you really are, the, the idea of this darkness and oppression is very easily evoked by what you'll see on the set. I've done some other updates of it with the French um, the French version when we did it in Cincinnati and, and Glimmerglass was kind of a modernized production with pretty sparse, minimal set, um, but more traditional and old-fashioned costumes with those productions. And then I've done several productions of it with absolutely traditional stagings and costumes. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen several different varieties, but this one's really interesting. It's, it's a lot different than what I've ever done, and they're also portraying Lucia as very young, so it's it's very um, almost uh, a little bit sick in <laughs> <laughs> how she's used. She's used in all of these situations in order for political reasons, and um, it's it's very sad when you see this young girl just taken as a a family pawn. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the drama unfold uh, myself. I really am. Now, you alluded to earlier, of course, you had, you had talked about um, your role as a mother. Um, how do you, I know, and, and congratulations, by the way, because I remember, first of all, when I saw you back in 2007 with the Washington National Concert Opera, and then the next time I saw you, I said, oh, Sarah, they don't know not know that she's expected. But definitely congratulations there. But how do you balance your, your career between 
uh, a new wife, a new mother, and you're singing. Well, I'm having another baby in May, so Ooh. I um... <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, it's very it's a tricky balance, especially when you're uh, having morning sickness and you feel really tired. I, I would say to anyone who ever t- attempts to sing pregnant, wait until your first trimester is over because no one has any idea why you feel so awful. There's no big bump sticking out in front of you, and you just feel lazy and horrible all the time. And so, um, it, it's it's tricky. <laughs> but how do how do I balance uh, motherhood and marriage on the road? Is that that's what you're asking? Yes. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if I have it down correctly yet. Um, it's very difficult because we don't see my husband, um, but every few weeks, and and that's really rough. And I have a wonderful nanny that travels with me, but it's it's hard to not have that family life routine that I think a lot of singers on the road crave. And, and when I do have it, I'm, I'm as happy as a clam I'm at home and cooking and working in the yard and all of those things. But then we get on the road again, and it becomes life on the road. So. I think having the time off between gigs can make um, makes the time on the road more enjoyable and more bearable, just being away from home all of the time. And with a child, it's difficult because you have to set up a home away from home everywhere you go with to- toys and books and diapers and DVDs and, and things to do uh, during the day when you're in a different mm. place and different city with, and not necessarily any uh, outside activities. So... It's tricky. We'll see. With two kids, I don't, I don't know how I'll manage, but I'm, I'm hoping to uh, find a way. Mm. Now you mentioned that you cook. What kind of food do you like to cook? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Oh, I just, I you know, follow recipes. I watch the Food Network, and if anything inspires me, I, I cook it. But right now, nothing inspires me because everything makes me. Sick, even thinking about it. So <laughs> I don't like to talk about food right now. Okay, I understand. <laughs> now, of course, you're you're singing opera and so forth and so on. But I want to move forward now to to maybe get the listeners um, to find out how how were you exposed to classical music? Was it a part of your upbringing? I mean, how how were you first exposed to this art? To opera, you know, where I grew up. I did not really experience that much opera. I, I saw a little bit on television. And um, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, huh? Oh, okay, good. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I grew up right down the street from, right down the road from Tulsa and Tulsa Opera and never really took advantage of it until I was in college. And In fact, the first time I ever saw an opera was in 1997 in college. My mother and I went to New York and saw Madame Butterfly at the Met. And that was one of the first really fantastic experiences I had um, at the theater. So, you know, we sang a lot in my family, and we we sang around the piano, and we sang barbershop quartet type music, and I had some classical music training in school, but um, not much opera. So I in college is really when I began, became uh, interested and really obsessed with the music and, and wanting to sing it, but it, it took a while. Mm. Now, when you were on this path of first discovering opera, who are some of the singers that you looked up to or you still look to as far as as role models? You know, um, Renee Fleming has always been my biggest role model and idol. I've always absolutely admired her singing and her career and the way she handles herself and also that she's a wonderful mother of two daughters and travels with them and and has been hands-on and 
figured out a way to balance it all. And so right now I feel most uh, respect toward singing mothers who travel with their children. And Natalie to say has her two children, and, and she's managed to have a huge career and, and do that. Um, Maria Kanyova, another soprano who travels with her, I think, three children now. So that to me is... Um, the most admirable <laughs> to be able to watch someone else who's gone through this and um, manage to figure out a way to balance it without losing your happiness and your joy and your sanity in the process because that you know you can you can make it work but if at the end of the day if you're not happy there's really no reason to keep pushing so that's that's what I'm looking for right now is um, advice from working mothers on how to handle it all. <laughs> That's wonderful. Now, you know someone else who is a wonderful uh, singer. This is just, just why I'm thinking. I had recently talked to um, another opera singer, Denise Grace, who has a young child, and that's something that she always um, is an advocate for, you know, balancing her career and family and so forth. So that's, yes. that's very important, very much it so. It is. It's so difficult. And I know she traveled with her diva dog before that. And so <laughs> I, but there's such a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. You can leave the dog in the apartment all day and then come back and the dog's still happy to see you and didn't have to be entertained all day. So yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of work and um but it really it, it makes your job so much easier when you're singing on stage. The pressure really is is not there the way for me at least the way it was before having a child because it doesn't matter as much. When you come home at night the the most important thing is at home and um so that's really helped me in terms of feeling free on stage and not you know, staking my life on every performance. Mm, that's that's commendable. Now to go back to earlier in the interview, I mentioned when I heard you uh, with Washington Concert Opera. I remember on that particular concert you uh, sang with Lawrence Brownlee, and then uh, a couple of years later you all did the duo recital um, at the Kennedy Center. And I've seen that several times you all have collaborated. Since then, how did you all first meet and start performing together? You know, I'm I'm always happy when I can sing with Larry because he's fabulous and fun, and we're friends. And you know, what a voice! Um, we met. Let's see. Okay, first time we met was in New York at the Met Finals um, in 2001. We were both um, the national grand finalists of the Met competition in 2001, and that's where we met the first time. But then. Right after that, the next season, we were young artists together in Seattle for probably about nine months. So we really got to know each other in Seattle um, with a pretty long, intense young artist program. And he was already on his way at that point. He had already gotten some gigs at La Scala coming up. I mean, he was really, really um, on his way up, and he obviously is still going up. But um, we've, I don't know, you know, I don't know how I've been so fortunate to get to sing with Larry so many times. We um, did a Barber Seville in Seattle together last year, and I think we'll be doing a Daughter of the Regiment there in a couple of years. So that's a, a, a wonderful company and a great place to have you know, a connection and a home base. Mm. But anytime I could sing with Larry, I'm happy, and he just had his second baby. Yeah, I saw, saw the pictures of, on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. They've got their hands full. <laughs> Now, I had mentioned, of course, uh, Larry Brownlee um, in terms of you had worked with them before. Are there some other artists that you maybe hope that you have the opportunity to work work for, or is, would that be like a dream concert? If you had to pick maybe two or three solos to be on a stage, what would be like your dream concert? 
You know, um, a dream concert, wow. (laughs) That's something I was actually thinking about and talking to someone the other day about, um, do you remember um, from Tom Orlando, Patricia Barden, and we sang the duet, um, Vivo in Te, from Tom Orlando. And we loved singing that duet together, and I always love the way it feels to sing a duet like that with a mezzo because the voices are so close and singing in thirds a lot of the time. And it's just really a fantastic feeling as a singer because rarely do you get the opportunity to sing into someone else's voice um, kind of in, a, in a, almost like choral music where you're really blending and you're really singing into the sleeve of someone else's voice. Mm-hmm. Normally we sing kind of in competition with each other when we're doing duets, the soprano and a tenor. You know, we're both just screaming as loud as we can. But, <laughs> Singing a soprano and a mezzo singing together like that is something I think is pretty rare. The beauty of it is rare, and I would love to do a duet recital or concert sometime with um, someone like Pat or Stephanie Blythe or Tom Crady and Semiramide and um, Handel and Rossini duets, things like that. I've been dreaming about that for a long time, and to me that would be a dream concert to be able to do those fantastic duets together. Mm, but yeah, that, that doesn't sound that's like that's not a very good diva answer. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I really do enjoy duets more than arias, so I, I think that would be fun. Mm. Now, this is something I was looking. I was looking over your itinerary, and I'm always fascinated to hear how singers make this adjustment. I noticed that you do do. I'm sorry, that you perform a variety of music recitals whether it's oratorio, recitals, and so forth and so on. But I wanted to ask, how do you uh, approach music stylistically? What I mean is I see that you have, uh, I think, a, ha- a couple of Handel's Messiahs coming up this season. How do you switch from that stylistically from perhaps when you've just come down from singing Lucia, which is more operatic in nature, to singing oratorio? What are some of the things that help you approach music different stylistically? Well, you know, it'll depend on the conductor because you've got a lot of people who consider themselves early music specialists, which right. you know can be a dangerous thing for singers who don't do that music solely, that music all the time. Really what I've learned, um, and you learn this the hard way sometimes, but don't mess with your voice. You sing everything with your voice. Yes, you can do things that are stylistic, but don't try to artsy-fartsy, take the vibrato out and try to make it precious and try to sound like some Handelian singer. Sing with your voice, with your breath, with your support. And I think that that's the most successful and the safest and really the most beautiful way to sing anything. Um, Yeah, there are different ways to approach recital singing and concert singing, but I think the most healthy way to do it is to just respect your own voice and to sing everything with that same voice. You know, that is I always get to this point where I always ask for advice, and I'm still going to get to that point. But uh, if there are any singers out there, that was a key point that I've heard in a master class recently. You know, sing with your own voice, Sarah. That was that was great. That was key. Because I'm always fascinated with that. You know, sometimes, you, you like you already pointed to um, early Baroque special, which is wonderful. I like that. But... You know, like you say, you have to be true to your own your own instrument. So I definitely well, that's you can hurt yourself if you're not. I mean, your technique mm. is important, and if you start to do, if some conductor wants you to do something that is a, a, a um, stylistic uh, sound, that's a kind of put on sound, it might work and it might sound cool, but you might lose your voice in 30 minutes. I mean, you you never know if you're not singing with the full support and your own true sound. And I think. That, that's something that's hard as young singers to embrace is that you do have your own unique sound. It doesn't need to sound like anyone else, but you need to find it. And it's difficult when you find that you have the ability to sound like several different people if you do something different with your mouth or your technique. 
and you have to choose which one is really truly yours. And I've struggled with that for years and really knowing is my voice round, is it small, is it big, is it light, and knowing how to negotiate that and to really find where it's comfortable in each um, part of your range, what is your true voice. And so it's it's difficult. It's a difficult journey, I think, to find, especially when you listen to other singers a lot and you start to unintentionally imitate what you hear. Right. That's that's a good point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted also. I was uh, of course I tried to do all my homework, <laughs> and I was reading. Of course, that you went to Oklahoma City University. Um, there's another well-known soprano who is uh, also an alumna of of Oklahoma City University, Marquita Lister. And I didn't know that until I saw on their Facebook page um, where they had recognized her. Did you ever, by any chance, know of her, Marquita Lister? Yeah, I know who she is, but I've never met her. Yeah, she lives right here in Washington, D.C. Well, that's fantastic. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, and the reason that it really piqued my interest because we were actually having, uh, having um, dinner this afternoon. So I was like, oh, okay, Marquis. I thought, wow, I didn't know she went to Oklahoma City University. So that was well, we got to get her some opera tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll definitely let her know. Um, as we round, end up... Um, Towards the end of the interview, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for being so so gracious and, and so personable. Um, just, we kind of allude to this, but was there any particular advice that a teacher gave you that that really has stuck with you on this journey to you becoming an opera singer? Oh, wow. There's been so much. Um, <laughs> gosh, I could, you know, I, I wish I could go back in my mind and come up with one jewel. Um, you know, I do remember something that stuck out for me: stage fright and nervousness and doubt. On mostly doubt, not fright, but doubting myself on stage has been something that's plagued me for years. And finally, working through that and, and enjoying my time on stage. But I remember when I first came to graduate school in, at Oklahoma City University, and the syllabus for our voice studio said you will not be allowed to indulge in the selfishness that is being nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember thinking, wow, what a way of putting that. It's it, you know, so self-involved to worry so much about what everyone thinks and to not, and to judge your gift that you've been given. And, and you, really it's not your place to judge it, it's your place to share it. And so that was something that really stuck with me, although I never, you know, I, it took me a long time to really work through those feelings, but I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. But, um, you know, my voice teacher now, who's been my teacher for a good almost 10 years, Rita Shane, has always said to me, just open your mouth and sing. And she says, just let it out, let it out. And that's really something I have to think about a lot and stop worrying and overanalyzing and obsessing over each little note or, or word. So she says, just open your mouth and sing. So that's a, a pretty good pretty good amount of advice. But um, you mean for, for young students now in, in school? Yes. I would say have patience. <laughs> mm. That's really what it takes because you never know where your voice is going to take you and, and where your body's going to, how your body's going to change and how your voice is going to change. But I think um, in, at a young age, the most important thing was to be a well-rounded musician, uh, not worry so much about showing off your talent, but learning languages and um, really learning the repertoire and learning the history and the the texts and and all of the things that go into all the study we have to do when we're on the road and when we don't have as much time, um, languages being the most, probably the most important thing. 
So that's what I would say. That's wonderful. I want to go back um, very quickly because it was something I know that we had I asked you initially how you first exposed to opera and classical music, but I'm always curious to know um, about maybe what, what was probably one of your first performances, public performances as a as a young singer, maybe like as a teenager, or did you have any platform in a church service, or what was maybe like one of your first performances? You know, I sang in church all the time. I used to sing Sandy Patty solos with a CD, and, uh, <laughs> or actually a tape. It would be a tape. And um, uh, I did. I sang on Sunday mornings quite a bit and um, in church choir and then in school and choir and um, in high school musicals and all of those wonderful things. I, I was, it was really a huge part of my life, choir, and that's why I, I decided to go to college for um, music, music education. So I really... Um, I imagine I had a pretty similar upbringing to a lot of singers in terms of musical exposure and church and, and yeah, choir and musicals. Not much opera. My very first opera was not until 1999 in graduate school, which was Don Squale in English. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Now, you were just Sandy Patty. Did you, did you sing, uh, I would say, her most famous solo, We Shall Behold Him? Oh yes, and <laughs> and they could not. And upon this rock, and uh, uh, how great they are, all of them. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I, I I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear you. We shall behold him because that's a that's a beautiful solo. You're right down the street from my church, actually, so I might have to get you to come and sing it. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, I'm not busy or anything, Patrick. <laughs> I do have a matinee on Sunday. I'm going to be skipping church. <laughs> but I would love to. I would love to. Oh my goodness! I I just had to get that in. But 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 seriously, you know that the, I never I never knew that the Washington National obviously was so close. My churches to come apart at the church at the corner of Aspen and Piney Branch Road, and then if you go oh. all the way down Aspen, it runs right into. The opera studios. I uh, <laughs> I told Morris Robinson that. What that you to come on to church? <laughs> well, you should have him totally. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, and I just want to round out by by letting everyone know that Sarah will be um, starring in the Chidalama Moore with Washington National Opera beginning on November the tenth. She sings November the tenth, a matinee on the thirteenth a performance on the 15th and the 18th. You can get details in in explicit nature on the Kennedy Center website by going to kennedy-center.org where you can go to the link for Washington National Opera and pull up all the performance details. But, Sarah, I want to say thank you so much for joining us here on the Opera Diva Series, and, and I hope that I do have an opportunity to hear you uh, in the opera coming up very soon. Well, it's tomorrow night. It's opening night. When are you coming? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, I have choir rehearsal tomorrow night, but oh. I, would de- I, I would definitely be there um, on one of the nights that you perform. At. Probably, well, it was probably on the 13th. Well, let me know, and I'll put you on the backstage list. Okay, I certainly will. Just one more. Hold on just for a second. Again, you've been listening to the Opera Diva Series. Um, Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice and classical music. We've been speaking with soprano Sarah Coburn, who opens in the Kid Lamamore with Washington National Opera on tomorrow night here in Washington, D.C. Again, this has been Patrick E. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I do wish you all a great day. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.